hundreds, if not thousands of people sitting with this thick anticipation of what is to come next. The breeze is, is, is wafting across their faces as they can smell the density of the salt in the air. Off in the distance, they could hear maybe a few kids rustling around trying to get comfortable as they see the ripples and the waves crashing along the shore. He takes a deep breath, examines those who have gathered, and he begins to give these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Let me ask you this morning. Do you buy it? Do you believe those words? Hearing over and over and over again that that is what a blessed, a blessing actually looks like and how we find it in life. Because if you're like me, we tend to look other places into different people to find that blessing, that happiness. And here's what I think I have realized about what this world has to offer. It's this. It's that happiness fades. Do you agree? Would you agree that that happiness kind of fades? You see, that's what this, this series that we're starting today is all about, is how do we seek, how do we find true, genuine, lasting happiness? Because sometimes that thing isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. That person has changed. Our ideal has kind of shifted, right? That that spouse is going to, we're all going to get a little bit older and a little more wrinkly, our kids, man, they don't, they're not always going to obey us and follow what we desire. Those, those cars, those new trucks that we can't wait to drive off the lot. At some point, you're going to need to change the oil. You're going to need to get new tires, and they're going to break down. That dream house, oh man, we just moved in. You don't believe this place. At some point, it's going to need a new roof. And, and maybe year after year, the basement just gets a little bit more water than it used to. Happiness fades, does it not? So here's the thing, is that this series is not what you think. This is not a, a health, wealth, or prosperity series. In fact, it's going to probably come across somewhat as the opposite. There's a good chance that as we navigate the words of Jesus throughout the next handfuls of weeks, there's going to be a few tugs. There's going to be a lot of toes that get stepped on. There's going to be a handful of gut punches that we all get. Because I would venture to guess that if you were like me, we don't have a tendency to define happiness, to define blessing the way that Jesus did. 
That who we look to, what we look to for lasting happiness is very different than how Jesus is about to describe it to us. And so that's why we've titled this series Upside Down. That's why we, we have this idea for this, this, this series that we're going to tackle through the Beatitudes. It's this, is that following Jesus is upside down. It's going to seem backwards. It's going to seem inside out. It's going to seem countercultural as we, as we take in the words of Jesus from the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, that, that finding true lasting happiness in the kingdom of God. It's going to require a life that looks upside down to the rest of the world. So over the next nine weeks, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, over and over and over. We're going to take one verse at a time to kind of really unpack what it really means. When Jesus uses that word blessed, how do we find it? How do we get it? How do we apply it to our life? So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me. Actually, not to Matthew chapter 5. I lied. I misled you a little bit. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We've got to start a few verses earlier. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 is where we're going to kick off here this morning. Because we need to set the stage. We need to see what's really unfolding in the life and ministry of Jesus. So as you're turning, you can download our app. You can follow along with the sermon notes. It's a great opportunity for you to join in with us. A couple quick things. First and foremost, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Some of you have been asking, hey, hey, Eric, hey, Danny, when is the preaching going to be live? Man, we love the live worship. We love the live kids, the students. When's the preaching going to be live? Well, next week. Well, kind of. You know, there's a lot going on. I'm sure you can understand that, that our staff and team is trying to, to juggle a lot of the details. But starting next week, we're going to kind of alternate a little bit. Live in Urbana, video in Champaign. Live in Champaign, video Urbana. Maybe live in both, maybe video in both. But starting next week, some of our preaching is finally going to be live as well. Enough about that. Let's dive into our text for today. We're talking about the Beatitudes. It's like the first 12 or so verses of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what you need to know about the Sermon on the Mount, that it is arguably Jesus's longest, most challenging, and popular teaching that he's ever given. That anyone who, who doesn't even believe in Jesus can read the Sermon on the Mount and kind of see, I like what I see. I, 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 I'm actually kind of enjoying what I'm reading. If this is what life looks like, if this is what Christianity should be, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in. One skeptic called the Sermon on the Mount, he called it the most extreme, but in a positive way, of a view of moralistic humanity. You see, with the Sermon on the Mount, even people who don't even believe in Jesus, who deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only way to be redeemed eternally with God in heaven for forever, even people who deny Jesus still read the Sermon on the Mount. They hear the Beatitudes and say, that's a good idea. That's a good way to live life. Even Gandhi built much of his way of life on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. But Gandhi's also on record saying stuff like this, saying things like, well, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. As a pastor, it's heartbreaking. As a Christian, steps on my toes a bit, but he's kind of right, isn't he? 
He's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He goes on to say that if Christians lived according to the words of Jesus, the whole world would be Christian. But what passes as Christianity is often a negation of the Sermon on the Mount. You see, this is what the upside down, this teaching series is all about. As we navigate through the Beatitudes, it's all about how Jesus says, if you want in, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, if you want to belong with me, which you can do out of my love, out of my grace, here is what we do. This is how we live. This is where we make a difference. There's an urgency for all of us who claim to be the church, who claim to be Christians, who claim to be disciples of Jesus. This is what we do because what we do and how we live matters. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter four, verse 17. This is kind of where we got to kind of set the stage for the Sermon on the Mount for the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter four, verse 17 says this. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. He's starting his ministry. He's performed a few miracles, but now he's really starting to teach. And he says these words. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is kind of like the foundation of Jesus' ministry, his teaching, why he come. It's two things. Repent, for the kingdom is near. Now that word repent, it means to do a 180, to turn around, to go the other direction. It's always in reference to our way of life. It's always in reference to our decisions. It's always in reference to our sin. That sin means to miss the mark. And so when Jesus says repent, he says turn away. From your wickedness, the sin that leads you astray, that creates separation, brokenness in life, separation from God. Repent, realize that you fall short and you need someone to fill the gap for you. He says, but do that because the kingdom of heaven is here. It's not coming. It's not to be established. The kingdom of heaven has come. This is Jesus's chief concern. This is why he came. This is why he died. This is why he would reach out to the lost and to the broken, why he would call out the religiosity of those that expelled people, that this kingdom built on his grace and his love, that ultimately his kingdom on earth has been restored, that shalom that God created in the beginning for us to belong with him and with one another to be a part of that community. And so whenever you, this is a little tip, whenever you hear the word kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, you hear a pastor say kingdom, this is what, what they're kind of talking about, is that the kingdom of God isn't an earthly kingdom with castles and, and, and moats and drawbridges, although that would be kind of cool, We'd, you know, but anyways, the kingdom of God is one that is, talks about that it's God's desire for God's people to influence others for God's glory. That is what the kingdom is. That is what the kingdom can be described. And so here's where it gets challenging for us. As we take in the words and the teaching of Jesus, we have to answer this question. As he's gonna say over and over, talking about this is the blessed life, we have to ask ourselves and answer this question. Is Jesus a way or the only way to lasting happiness. Because here's what I know. The things that we search after in this life for lasting happiness, they will fail you. That car will eventually break down. 
Something will need to be fixed in that house. That person will change. That money doesn't go as far or last as long as you anticipated. And as we begin to unpack the Beatitudes, it's going to become clear that Jesus' picture, as he paints, this is what blessedness looks like. This is what a blessed life is. This is the key to happiness. Find it in me, in me alone, in me, through me, with me. Yet most of us, right, myself included, don't we like to use God as a supplement to our life and to our happiness? Right? Like we, we, we kind of gather all the things in life that we think are going to bring us happiness. I got a little bit of that. I got that. I got, and then we say, okay, God, I think I got a little spot for you right here. Maybe I can kind of just, kind of just squeeze you in. I think I got some space for you. God, God here's my, my pie of happiness. I'm going to give you this little sliver right here. Is that cool with you? Okay, here's my life, here's my cake, and and God, guess what? I want you to be the sprinkles. (laughs) I want you to be that cherry on top. Do that blessing thing, because I really like when you do that. Just go ahead and kind of sprinkle it on top. And with the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus' gospel, his kingdom says is, is, I ain't no sprinkles. I'm not the cherry on top of your life. He says, I'm the cake and the frosting. I'm the whole thing, dog. This is my kingdom and what it looks like. So let's dive in. It's a long intro. Let's see what that cake tastes like in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the setting for the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. There's three important pieces of context here that we need to first look at. Number one, it's the crowd. You see, Jesus starts with the crowd. He sees the crowd, the thousands that have gathered. And the interesting thing is, is by the end of his speech, more and more people have come. But notice, he sees the crowd, but he addresses them like disciples. He sees the people that are out and saying, let me tell you how you can be in. He sees the people who aren't included in things and he says, this is a place that you can belong. My house, my table, my kingdom. Guess what? You have a place to belong with me. Jesus, he always sees the crowd. It's the thing I love most about Jesus. It's the thing I wish I was more like Jesus. He He always sees the crowd, but he doesn't just see the crowd for where they are. He sees them for who he wants them to become. See, Jesus wants to turn the crowd into his church. Jesus sees the crowd. He sees the people, but he says, no, 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 this is where I want you to be. I don't want you just to come and sit and listen and consume and absorb and go away unchanged. I want you to become a part. I want you to belong in this kingdom. I want you to be with me. And what Jesus is going to do next as he gives the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to sift out He's going to give words that are challenging, words that are true, that's going to say, do I want to be a part of the crowd or do I want to belong as a part of the church? See, that upside-down kingdom we're about to see, that upside-down, backwards, inside-out, countercultural expectation of living in the kingdom is going to become clear. Where it's going to hit all of us point blank and say, am I a part of the crowd Or am I willing to belong as a part of his church? 
Number two, we see that, that, that Jesus is on the mountainside. It's an ordinary place. Here's a picture, actually, uh, of where the Sermon on the Mount actually occurred in Jerusalem. This is the Sea of Galilee down here. It, it's a pretty average, normal-looking place. There's nothing special, right? There's, there's no castle. There's no temple. It's not a fancy office and using fancy pens, making declarative statements. No, no, it's a pretty normal, ordinary place. And that's the beauty of God's kingdom. He said, this is a place where anyone can come. This is a place where anyone can belong. This is a place that anyone can get to in my kingdom. See, back then, mountains were important places. And so the Jewish people, as they saw Jesus on going up to a mountainside, they're like, oh, it's about to get real. Something's about to go down because this guy, he's doing something. This guy's different, man. He walks differently, talks differently. He's got kind of like some stuff coming out of his fingertips. Man, he is just doing something. They would have been, man, this guy reminds me of Moses. You see, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and when he came down, he had brought the law with him because mountaintop experiences where this spiritual enlightenment would happen. When the leader would go up to the mountain and come back down, it was always like, okay, we got a word from God. And so here's the thing is Jesus doesn't say, hey, meet me up there. He says, I'm gonna come to you. I'm gonna invite you to come with me. See, when Moses brought the law, we tend to think these are the rules of how you get in, but that's not the point of the law. That's not, that's not what the mountainside was about. It's not how do you climb up to get God. It's rather, this is what it looks like. It's not how you earn salvation. Rather, it was proof that you couldn't. This is what shalom looks like. That's what the law, trying to paint this picture, the kingdom of God, my desire, my heart for other people, how your vertical relationship with me will affect your horizontal relationship with the people on your left and the people on your right. And so here's Jesus on a mountainside giving the way, the new and better Moses, the description of the kingdom, but he gives it with this love, this undeniable grace, mercy, compassion, I will be your strength. I will be your source. I will be your guide. I will be your example. Trust and have faith in me for I will be with you. Welcome to the mountainside in which the kingdom of God is established. But then there's something interesting. It says that Jesus sat down and he began to teach. You see, taking a seat and sitting down was often the posture of teaching back then of mentoring, of disciple making. It's like a, hey, hey, everyone, let's get comfy here. I've got some important stuff I need to tell you. Just kind of settle in because some time is about to pass here. It says he began to teach. It's the same phrase. It's the same syntax that would refer to the Old Testament prophets that when, when, when God would want them to deliver a word, to direct, to poke, prod, steer, admonish the people of God, it's the same phrase. And so here, here, here we see Jesus addressing a specific people in a specific place for an intentional purpose that if you want in, you can. That if you want a place to belong, a place to find meaning, a place to find value that is not based on what you bring to the table, not based on, on how the world defines your worth or value, guess what? I will be that worth. I will be that value. But if you want to be in, this is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we must look like that in order for my kingdom to work, to get more and more people in, we have to be different. 
We have to be upside down. We have to be countercultural because the more we act like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, the harder it's going to be for us to reach them. It's almost as Jesus is saying, settle in, hear these words. And then you need to decide, do you want in or out? If you want to belong, I've made a way. And let me show you what that looks like, he says. Here's how this sermon, this teaching begins. The beatitude starts with this, Matthew chapter five, verse three, the Sermon on the Mount, the most influential sermon given of all time. It starts with one simple word. He says, blessed are, blessed. It's nice, isn't it? That God kind of cares about your happiness. Let let me kind of show you and tell you a little bit quickly of, of what this means. He says the word blessed. It's the Greek word makarios. You want to know what that word means? It's going to blow your minds here, okay? It's going to, it's going to just like radically transform here. Here's what that word means. Are you ready? It means happy. Happy. An internal happiness that comes from one source and one source alone. A happiness that lasts. lasts it doesn't fade. He's saying blessed. Makarios, happy are. And there's going to be this formula that Jesus uses throughout the Beatitudes that we're going to see week after week after week. And this is what it's going to be. He's going to say, blessed are, and then happy are. And then he's going to give us something that's a little upside down. He's going to give us something that's a little backwards. He's going to give us something that's a little countercultural. But then he's going to give us the reward in the kingdom. He's going to say, blessed are, and then he's going to give us something that's going to challenge us. It's going to push back. It's going to maybe be a little bit confusing, backwards, inside out, upside down. He says, but if you do that, you will have a reward, a happiness that will not last. And it's interesting because here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to start in the first one. He's going to say the reward is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, happy are the spiritually bankrupt, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one, the, the, the last one, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of me, for they will also receive the kingdom of heaven. But what he's going to do is he's going to say, this is where it starts. This is what it begins. This is what I have done to you. I have the best gift, the best happiness for forever. But then he's going to drop all the way down. And then in Beatitudes 3, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, it's going to build and build and build. He's going to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize they have nothing to add, nothing to bring But if you do, if you lean on me in my grace, in my love, in my redemption, you will receive the kingdom of heaven. You do not earn it. I give it. And then he's going to go to the next one. So blessed are those who who mourn, have this spiritual sorrow. Blessed blessed are, are, are the meek, the humble, who realize they have nothing to bring, who, who, who can treat other people with dignity and civility, unity, respect. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who realize that my way of life, and he's going to build them progressively. He's going to say, this is the key. But then he's going to end it again here. He's going to say, if you want my kingdom, if you belong with me, I'm going to radically transform your life. It's going to seem so backwards. It's going to seem so upside down. But at the end of the day, people are going to want to be confused. People are going to be concerned. People are going to question. And yeah, some people might push back on the way that you live your life. But if you do, it will be a sign that you have the ultimate reward, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Karios, happy. That's what the upside down life is all about. It's nice, isn't it? To know that, that God cares about your happiness. But, but don't, don't, please, please don't turn it off here. Please don't, don't get up and walk out at that point. Here, here. He cares about your happiness as he defines it, not how we define it. See, as we're going to see, it's a happiness built on Jesus. Not fortune, not health, not wealth, not circumstances. No, no, no. Why? Because all of that fades. Jesus is going to say an upside down life will find a happiness in me that will not fade. It will not leak. It will not avoid you. Because here's the thing, though, that we have to see is that when it comes down to it, we don't get to decide if Jesus was right. If there is a man who lived, died on a cross, rose again, called it and pulled it off, guess what? I'm going to believe what that man says. We don't get to decide if Jesus is right, but we do have to choose if we will live as if he is. So for a lot of us, though, we have to wrestle with this, is that in order to receive the Beatitudes, we must apply our lives to the words of Jesus, to the Bible, not the Bible to our lives. We must take in the words of Jesus, take in the Beatitudes and say, oh, this is how I must adjust my life. This is how I must change. This is what Jesus requires me. This is the obedience that I live out. This is how grace has changed me. This is how God's love transformed me. This is how mercy and humility of Jesus compels me to live and love and impact those around me for the kingdom of heaven. We must apply our lives to the Bible and not say, okay, well, here's how I think I, I, I want to take it. Here's what I want in life. Oh, cool, the, the Bible affirms that. It doesn't affirm that, so I don't really want to listen. No, no, we have to apply our lives to the Bible and not just apply the Bible to our lives when it makes sense. We have to receive his definition of Makarios, blessed happiness. It means trusting that he is enough. He's not a supplement. He's not the cherry on top, the sprinkling. Because the world has a message for us that's gonna be very different than Jesus, right? Because the world says things like this. 
Blessed are the married because they have a filled life. Happy are those with good health because they can get around. Blessed are you when your portfolio is up because you've made wise decisions. Happy are the ones with power because they get to choose and make decisions. Blessed are those whose kids start on the team because they get to feel good about themselves. Happy are the entrepreneurs because they've done something different. Blessed is the one whose team is in the playoffs and they're actually going to win. Happy are the winners because no one likes to be a loser. Blessed is the starting quarterback. Happy are the valedictorians. And on and on and on. The world says they get to be happy. That is a normal life. They are the ones who get to feel good about themselves. And when I hear that, when I see that, when I see people who, who that's how they're chasing after life, my heart breaks with them, for them, in my own life, when I begin to think that that's what happiness is, because that fades, that leaks, it doesn't last. And what Jesus is gonna do, he sees the crowd. He sees these droves of people who have come. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you've ever felt spiritually bankrupt, blessed are the ones who, who, who find peace with others. Happy are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Upside down, inside out, backwards. But he makes a promise. Think about this, is that this is how it all begins. A promise to a crowd on a mountainside so that they can belong and find you their place in the kingdom of heaven. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to those of you who have maybe had an abortion, Remember that God is on your side. To anyone who's been unfaithful in a relationship, God is, God is with you. To the people who can't go a day without putting someone else down to feel good about themselves, God has a peace that can change your heart. To the one who really screwed it up at work, guess what? God is still there in your life. To the ones who can't seem to avoid certain websites when they're all alone, God still loves you. To the one who realized that you can't buy happiness, guess what? Jesus still wants to offer it to you. To anyone to, to, to everyone who realizes that life is a bit of a mess. God desires to bless your life. A happiness, a blessedness, defined, built, and sourced by Jesus, the sovereign creator, Yeshua, Messiah of the world, not on the happenstance of life. We have to pause and then ask ourselves, are we, am I willing to change my definition of happiness? Welcome to the Upside Down. Let's move to our time of response. I know even though we've only looked at a few short verses to begin to think about the reorientation of our thoughts and our minds can sometimes overwhelm us because if we were to confess, we have built our happiness on a lot of things and oftentimes it's not the foundation of Jesus. In our gatherings together, whether it be at home or whether it be at a live location, 
We take a moment to pause about what our foundation truly is, and it's the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we say that uh, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, we have new life in Jesus. His sacrifice becomes the payment for our sins and life everlasting. And so we reflect on a night that when he realized he was about to be betrayed, that he was to be crucified, to die our death on the cross, that he gathered together in a meal that was a traditional meal that the nation of Israel paused to reflect on how God had delivered them in the past. And so he took these emblems that they were very familiar with, and one of them was the bread. If you've got your emblems, you can grab what you have. And he took that bread that reminded them of their deliverance and said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. It was the reminder of the blood that was put over their doorpost. So when the angel of death came, when they were enslaved in Egypt, that they would be delivered from that death. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. The reorientation of that miracle in Egypt now made reality in the person of Jesus begins to be the watershed moment for all of us that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the foundation of our happiness. And as Christians, as disciples and followers of Jesus, we pause to reflect on that deliverance. Now, one of the things that I've always been taught about a blessed life is this, is that a blessed life is an obedient life. And so when we think about where we built our happiness and the things that we've surrounded ourselves with, oftentimes it's self-preservation, if we're honest. And the blessed life begins with an open-handedness before God that says, God, who I am and what I have is yours. One of the things we try to encourage specifically right now, because some of us are here live and some of us are at home or at work or at play, is to use the app. And one of the things we challenge over and over is for you to share your prayer requests. What is it that's on your heart? Where is it God is leading you? Where are you being challenged today? On your phone, if you open the first app and go to the Sundays page, you can actually give a prayer request for us. Maybe it's a family member that's going through surgery. Maybe it's a decision of faith that you need to make. Maybe it's just the overwhelming sense that many of us feel in this COVID season about the economy, about the election, about our family or friends. Within that Connect card, we can actually make a decision of faith. It's interesting, we're actually having uh, decisions right now. People who are saying, I, I need to step in and serve. People who are saying, I, I need to be in a group. People who are saying, you know what? I, I need to surrender my life in baptism. The blessed life is an obedient life. And if we want to experience the full measure of God's happiness in us, then the first thing we have to sacrifice is ourselves. What we have to surrender is ourselves. 
So where is it God's challenging you today? In a moment of prayer? In a moment of response, maybe towards serving or getting in a group? Or maybe last of all, it's in giving. The truth be known, giving is also an expression of obedience back to God. And we just need to say thank you to God's blessing in our lives. Many of us are fed, clothed, housed, still putting gas in our car, still showing up for work on a regular basis. Oh, it's not that it's not difficult. It's not that it's not hard. But to respond even in our generosity through our finances is also a declaration of obedience and faith so that the church may advance the mission of Jesus in the world that we're a part of. It's his kingdom come. It's his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to invite you wherever you are, whether in your home or work, at play, or whether you're gathered with me here in Champaign, would you, would you stand? And we're going to continue to sing and we're going to continue to respond and worship. Some of us may pause to continue to pray and some of us may be wrestling with what's been talked about. But whatever it may be, may God's spirit begin to blow afresh on all of us to awaken us to a happiness that is only rooted in the person of Jesus.